This is a Broad Pods production. From Little Things. At the core of Broad Radio, we believe in celebrating, uplifting, and amplifying the voices of women who are making a real difference in their communities, industries, and the world. So let's do exactly that. Get ready to feel inspired, fiery, and ready to fight for progress because these amazing women prove that even the smallest actions can create massive change. Hi there, Joe Stanley here. My co-host today is Anjali Rao, and our guest is an absolute powerhouse in the Australian media landscape. Antoinette Latouf is fighting the fight for greater workplace and media diversity, and her book, How to Lose Friends and Influence White People, is a must-read. It not only delves into the challenges of championing change and promoting racial equality, but also encourages readers to examine their own biases and take action towards a more inclusive society. It's a critical conversation not to be missed, so let's get into it. I've learned a lot already from Antoinette. She's a multi-award winning journalist and author and co-founder of Media Diversity Australia, a resource that I have found incredibly useful. I encourage you to go to um, Media Diversity Australia. You will discover the most amazing people who, um, you know, have, I suppose, been kept by the gatekeepers away from mainstream media. So she's now written a book that is a guide to anti-racism, how to lose friends and influence white people. Congratulations on your book. Antoinette, I really love it. And we're going to, you know, I've got a lot of questions about how the tips that you bring, the do's and don'ts in this book. But firstly, I I wanted to say, I feel like just going from the way people speak and what you read and your friends and your networks, most Australians would say that they're not racist. Okay. So as a nation, do you think we lack an understanding of actually what (laughs) racism is? Yeah. Like, do you think Australians really know what racism is? is well i think put simply everybody has biases and everybody is racist and everybody can be racist Um, i think when people talk about and try and distance themselves from acts of racism they think i don't use the n-word i don't shout at people and and cuss their nationality because of stereotypes about certain types of people who drive they think because they're not doing overt individual acts of racism, that racism doesn't exist. But there's individual acts of racism and then there's systemic racism. And systemic racism is what happens when our our institutions of power are gatekeepers and keep out non-white people for, uh, from having you know, access to a voice in politics, representation in media, um, or even access to employment opportunities and adequate health care. Um, which will, which then allows uh, people of colour, black people and people of colour to thrive. I mean, so I think there's two very different things when we talk about racism, but I just think the first thing we should all do is go, okay, all acknowledge that we can be racist. Even though I'm a woman of colour, I have to constantly battle against, you know, anti-blackness, which is very much ingrained in our, in our society and has been since Australia's brutal colonisation. And so I think for a lot of Australians, we are really ashamed of our, our past or past are uncomfortable about our colonial past but try and go oh well that was then and that wasn't me and you know like I am really nice to my Sri Lankan Uber driver therefore I'm not <laughs> this is really superficial allegiance to anti-racism 
I, I think too, um, it's a lack of understanding white privilege or what you call the the ledge. Um, you know that oh. we have, and, and I think. I acknowledge my white privilege and, and I see it in terms of things like um, that I, when I send an email to someone and request a meeting, I know that I I have an expectation that I'll get that meeting because of my name and, you know... I often I'm, change my name now on emails and I'm super proud of my name. I love the name Angelie. Mm. I'm so happy that my parents gave me that name. But I often write Angie because mm. then I know I'll get yeah. an answer. So I think that yeah, people right. struggle to acknowledge that we have a, a white privilege. People think, oh, no, well, I, you know, my parents were really working class or, I, yes. you know, I struggle with my mortgage or I, I yes. and they they associate it with an economic space. which And, and there really is, there is. I mean, there, there is that component, but I just think um, privilege is not a dirty word. And the first thing I ask people in the book to do is to recognise their privilege. And we all have various levels of privilege. Uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm an Arab woman, but I don't wear a headscarf. Um, and so that gives me, that has opened the gate for me to have a career in commercial television that I know would not have been afforded um, to somebody or hasn't been afforded to somebody who is more Arab or Islamic looking. And so I think it's important that we all identify the different privileges we have. I'm more privileged than the very working class girl from, from the Western suburbs, from a refugee background that I was as a kid. Um, but that's okay. It's what you do with that privilege. Like recognising it is one thing. And too often studies have shown, to your point, that people go, oh, oh, oh. But when, when confronted with privilege, it makes them uncomfortable. With white privilege, they start to go, you know, but I, my, you know, I was raised by a single mum and I have a really big mortgage and, you know, like, and, and certain things to kind of up their their stakes in the oppression Olympics to be like, oh, I have certain things that aren't working for me as well. Um, but I just think the minute, as soon as we just all accept that we are cons- we have to constantly work on being anti-racist, all of us, and that we all have some access to privilege, definitely some more than others, um, and then go, okay, let's, let's just recognise that and then start to actually do the work. Mm. Let's just talk about um, the book now, Antoinette. So um, in writing How to Lose Friends and Influence White People, I was interested to read that you really did lose friends while you were writing it. (laughs) Why? What did they find so unpalatable about what you were saying? Oh, it's, it goes back to, you know, and I hate to use these buzzwords, but white fragility. And I, I talk in one of my chapters, it's called Fifty Shades of White. And it's like, let's just put it all on the table. Let's talk about what white privilege is. Let's talk about white fragility. And let's get you all to the point where you can be allies and advocates. There is an enormous amount of sensitivity around race and representation in the country. And that if you dare to talk about it, it can really get you into trouble, whether we've seen, you know, careers cut short, we've seen Yasmin Abdul-Majid driven out of the country, we've, we've seen Adam Gould's boot off the stage. So we know that we are at a country that is not com- comfortable talking about racism and people would rather shut you down and end a friendship than actually sit with the fact that Australia has a deeply racist past and, and is it a point, is it a point where we can try and have a less racist and a more equitable future? And so in, in writing the book, um, a couple of friends of mine who are from commercial television friends um, were just a little bit uncomfortable with my take um, and my rebuttal about a high-profile white woman um, who said some racist things. Um, and, you know, my, they were like, oh, but, but, you know, I know her and she's not racist. And I was like, well, that whole she's not racist, I'm not racist, but I'm like, it's... 
A, it's not true because we can all be racist. B, plenty of people from the community that this particular presenter um, marginalised feel it's racist. I feel it's racist. And just because of that different take, and I said words to this effect, it is a little bit disappointing. I would expect my friends would be actively anti-racist. That's all it means. After saying, or after just saying that, I would hope you were actively anti-racist, not excusing someone as, oh, but they're a nice person. Mm. And simply for saying that line, that was the end of that friendship. Oh, that's the, just, that's where the, that's where yeah. discourse is in this country. That's that's the thing because you know whenever I've told any of my white friends, and let's face it, they're mostly all white. Um, about the things that I've experienced as a woman of colour in this country, in the media landscape, the response is utter disbelief. And oh, that can't possibly be the case because, you know, um, we've boundless planes to share. <laughs> so, right? So, so, so where's the disconnect? Like, why do people go, no, 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 surely you're imagining it. <laughs> I think the disconnect is because it then raises larger questions about things like meritocracy, mm. about their position and access to power and privilege. People don't want to think that the reason they got there was because they had a leg up due to knowing somebody, due to looking a certain way, to, due to having a pronounceable surname, um, because then that makes them look at them. Everybody likes to think that they're awesome. Um, and mm. that it's a level playing field and I'm here because I absolutely deserve it. And in some cases, yes, that is that is true. Um, but there's countless studies that show, particularly in the media, what, um, you know, what I have a lot of experience in both as a journo and a, as a diversity advocate, the pathways are informal. It's who you know. Commercial television pumps out clones like there's no tomorrow. Like sometimes you look away and you look back at the screen and you think it's the same person. They're not only a white person. <laughs> That's it's so a true. A type of white person. It's a particular brand of white person who is slender, who is tall, who is blonde, who is interchangeable. And so uh, I, in talking about this, was talking to a bunch of blonde white women who in this whole diversity discussion will no doubt be going, well, what does that mean for me? Yeah. What does that mean about why I'm here? And when people take systemic racism as a personal attack on their feelings, then there's a real problem because I mean, it's larger than an individual person's feelings. Well, yeah. So, Antoinette, what was your... I mean, what is your response when you see something like the Logies and the lack of diversity there and how it is just not representative of our society? Yeah, look, it's, it's, it's unsurprising. It's also unsurprising that it was Tony Armstrong who had to do the acknowledgement mm. um, of country like that. I, I just, I, I can't believe that continues to be acceptable. It, it shouldn't be. And I'm glad he mentioned that. But we're not going to, until our gatekeepers of power actively address the diversity and representation issues, like getting people through the door, let alone up to influential positions, let alone into roles um, that uh, allow them to flourish, that's the inclusion part, and then be allocated and then be nominated for an award, that takes time. Mm. Uh, right now, there's just a bit of a merry-go-round of talent um, that is the same sort of person. You often see the same sort of person recycled through different networks and across different programming. And um, it's absolutely not the best person for the job because we know uh, when barriers are removed, then you truly allow merit, merit to thrive and get more thinkers, more content creators, more innovation, different storylines. Like you see, interesting. Like, 
interesting things to watch apart from anything else. I mean, I've, I've always <laughs> said that like... diversity in this country on TV means that you're a brunette. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. we've got some fantastic comments already from, like, Eche on Facebook says you've just described home and away. So, <laughs> I mean, it's like... Um... And, and, and the truth is, like, television or legacy media um, is facing a business model crisis for a range of reasons, because of the internet, because of Facebook and Google, because of social media algorithms. Um, in terms of comedy and drama, the Netflix and the streaming services are providing on-demand content. Mm. And so the old model that they thought was working in the 90s doesn't work for a range of reasons, least of all because um, the storylines aren't diverse and representative. Because you, know, you switch on Netflix or one of the streamers and you see content that is varied and you see different storylines and you see different characters with different socioeconomic um, disability, LGBTQI, brown stories and, hey, it's doing really well. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm, I'm nodding my head vigorously at you. <laughs> So back to the book, um, one of my favourite quotes from the book, being anti-racist is more than a label, it is an action. So powerful. Um, and you give so many do's and don'ts in the book. It's very useful and I, I really feel as though I'm going to return to the book often because this is a journey for me. It should be a journey for everybody to continually check in with myself and to really challenge myself to sit in that discomfort and go, okay, what what is my privilege? What can I do better? How can I be an advocate so can you give us some tips, please, on how to be yes. a good advocate for a non-white person? Yeah, and this is just not, um, this extends far beyond just non, um, for white people, because as a person of colour, I've learned a lot as to how to be a better ally to black and indigenous communities, because unless we get, and unless we centre our anti-racism work on in indigenous voices and experiences, um, then it's not really going to shift some of the biggest structural barriers because mm. it's Indigenous women who are the fastest growing prison population in the country, the mortality, the education rates um, for Indigenous men and women um, and children um, is still so completely unacceptable in a country like Australia. Um, and so, yes, I'm glad that you pointed out that it's a journey because it's an ongoing journey for me. But one of the, the two things I always tell people to do, because it's a little bit like climate change. You're like, oh, my God, systemic racism and colonialism. Oh, my God, what can I do? Um, mm -hmm. Just like people feel that kind of like climate type, climate change fatigue and overwhelm, like this problem is so much larger than one individual. Um, and so then you just go, oh, I'm just going to give up on recycling because China is a really big omitter. You know, like that's what a lot of people <laughs> well, I'm just gonna, you know what? I'm not going to do anything. Um, and so I tell, I implore that um, rather than give up what you do after you have identified what privilege and power and skills you have and stop saying things like, I am not racist, but, and I don't see colour, because unless you are clinically colourblind, everybody sees colour. Um, <laughs> the first thing you do is um, identify a niche. Like, what is it that you want to do in particular? Because you don't or we don't all, like one person isn't going to end Indigenous deaths in custody. One person isn't going to um, uh, stop anti-Asian hate. 
Um, and so what I have decided to do, for example, is challenge lack of representation in media because media is a megaphone for culture and it sets our opinions and it sets, you know, uh, political agendas and things like that. So I've decided to focus on media representation as a pillar of our democracy. But you can start smaller. It can be about shifting representation in your workplace. It can be about community sport, giving access to uh, more people from low socioeconomic refugee backgrounds. Um, so to, to kind of open that pathway, whatever are your interests are and your whatever bandwidth you have my first piece of advice is just really find that niche and don't feel the need to do everything because you can't and it's overwhelming and you're most likely to give up the second thing to do is to be really clear about your audience like don't get into biffos with your redneck uncle darren on facebook who's never going to change his mind <laughs> you know somebody oh who voted for pauline hansen you know what I would mute them on social media and probably not bother having conversations with them because they're, they're, they form part of the fives. So I, I, we classify people in change and influence kind of as one to fives. And one's your hard agree. You know, we, you, they, they're your allies, they're converted, they tell you you're awesome, uh, and they're really good because they're your cheese squad. And then you've got your fives who voted for One Nation, who are Uncle Darren, who are people who say things like, oh, all this diversity and feminism stuff is punishing what poor white men. What about white men? We're left behind. <laughs> I'd say park those people because thankfully they form a small minority, a vocal and potentially destructive, but a small minority. But most Australians fit in the twos, threes and fours. And they are a little bit interested, somewhat curious, bit sceptical, time poor. Um, and they're the people that you need to convert to become allies. And so I just think so often people spend energy banging their heads against the wall with people who are never going to support and people who are never going to be agents of change. So ignore those people. Don't only hang around allies who tell you you're awesome, because while it's important to have your cheer squad, that's not going to really shift hearts and minds. Um, focus on that cohort, but only that two, threes and fours, but only when you've really identified what it is that you can do. It's um, it's a very empowering book that you've written and I thank you for it because you've already acknowledged that you've lost friends in this mm. way and I expect too um, that as a journalist, I, I hope it doesn't make it harder for you to do what you do. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and that was something, uh, yeah, Angelia, I see you're nodding because you know. Oh, yes, know. oh, yes, <laughs> I've is. gotten. Every time, I'm, I'm sure you would agree with this, Antoinette, that yeah. when we do speak out about this, as I have, it took me years to do it because I was so afraid, but then I did, yeah. and, oh, that's when the haters really come out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. blimey. I, um, they do, they do, and it's just like, just to prove how race, not racist Australians are, they're going to come and, like, troll you and be racist and sexist and, like, give you death threats, yeah, just to show you that we're That's logical, racist. isn't it? Yeah. Um, Thank you for proving yes, my point. Yeah. And to be honest, um, in publishing this book, um, I had to I had to sit down and make a lot of decisions. I had to make at the time I was working at Network Ten. I I resigned on 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 good grounds and because I had other exciting projects. But I published the book knowing that I would probably lose my job. Um, that there were some friends friends that would no longer want to be part of this journey, but that was okay. That. Um, me and my family could be targeted. I had to uh, have a digital security expert kind of come on and help me protect myself and take geotags off photos. I took myself off the electoral roll. Mm. I did all of these things wow. simply to have an informed, very well-researched uh, conversation in a book about race. That's wow. the sort of... But I had learnt from those before me, like Yasmin and Yumi Steins and, um, and Adam Goods, about what happened to them. 
um, and tried to um, protect myself a little bit. Um, so, yes, but I decided that I don't want to be on a payroll of a media organisation that's on the wrong side of history anyway. Um, but that comes with privilege. That comes with the privilege of having a partner whose salary pays the bills. Mm. Like, and, and, yeah. and I talk about that. I think that's really important because the people go, oh, how noble and great is Antoinette. Well, no, I'm not, <laughs> not going to be choked out. I'm not going to not be able to, um, to pay my bills because I have a partner whose salary affords me the flexibility to say, um, you know, if yeah. you to certain outlets, <laughs> if, I, if I just don't think <laughs> all the right thing. And thank you for cleaning that up. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, Antoinette, I really loved the book and I really appreciate that you've put so much work into it and that, you you know, it's come at some cost. And I really encourage people to read it and return to it. It is a fantastic book to help all of us in this journey, um, How to Lose Friends and Influence White People. Check it out. Antoinette, I, I look forward to engaging with you again soon. I really love Media Diversity thank Australia. You. It's been amazing. So we will continue this conversation wonderful and i just i just want to add one thing i have made new friends right she's not without <laughs> friends that's important yes, I'm not without <laughs> friends. I'll be a friend. um, and i have made some new and improved ones just so people <laughs> who are going you know what i'm not really sure if i want to lose all of my friends <laughs> <laughs> that's good to know thanks antoinette thank you 